0: I pay homage to the Buddha. I pay homage to the Dhamma. I pay homage to the Sangha. Feels like it's been a a long time since I've been here. I didn't mean for it to be that way. I've, I'm in grad school now, and uh, I'm trying to find that right balance between rest and activity with hopefully not too much procrastination. And so I've found myself either busy Sunday doing homework and catching up on reading, or just needing the rest and not looking forward to the drive from Fullerton to Koreatown. But I am glad to be here today with all of you. Very grateful. And even afterward, I get to go to my parents and see my sister who is celebrating her birthday and I get to see my niece, and all together, this is turning out to be a pretty nice day. I woke up not sure if it would be, but so far, so good. We'll see. So my my topic today, hopefully there there is one. I have a few different ideas, and we'll see how they all relate to each other. We're all going to take a journey together through my brain, and hopefully we get out the other side okay. Most of them I think these ideas that I want to discuss today have to do with how we confuse our path to be the path and also conversely how we confuse the path to be our path. Now this topic developed slowly I think over the last few months in not necessarily a a positive way like like all sad topics it started on Facebook in which i saw a lot of judgment and comparison and feelings of superiority and feelings of inferiority being thrown around all over the place even and sometimes especially within the online buddhist community on Facebook and that made me really sad and seeing all the judgment, but then also seeing the judgment in me as well kind of arising in response, and seeing the whole thing this this whole issue we have with comparing ourselves with others, never just looking at ourselves and our own practice, but always projecting outward and checking in on with with what everyone else is doing, and how we compare to that and then also, while i've been really busy and staying away from this temple, which very much feels like a home to me i've come across other Buddhists of different traditions here and there, and it's always very nice. But then I've come across a couple people here and there who um, are filled with, let's say, certainty that the way they practice is the right way. There's a feeling of, of arrogance there, a feeling of, of judgment there that rubbed me the wrong way. It was very disheartening. Uh, I, would, I deeply reacted to it to the point where I even questioned my my own involvement in the community. Not necessarily my commitment to the Eightfold Path, and as a Buddhist, I feel very confident in that. I have good faith and confidence in the path as it's worked for me, but the institution. And so I had to look and see why I was reacting so strongly to these feelings of judgment, because, quite honestly, I was reacting with judgments of my own. And so, in looking back, and looking back and, and investigating, I, I once again went over the, uh, the ten fetters. Now, some of you might be more familiar with the ten fetters than others, but the ten fetters are, in at least the Theravada tradition, and I think they're very similar in the Mahayana as well, mental qualities that, that must be overcome, that must be eradicated in our movement towards liberation, towards enlightenment. And in following the Eightfold Path, we begin to weaken all of them. But they seem to be eradicated completely in stages that are broken down into four. Four stages of enlightenment. The stream-enter, the once-returner, the non-returner, and the fully-liberated or enlightened one, right? And uh, I'll go over the, the technical bit First, so that we can just talk about the ideas, but the way they're, they're usually broken down, these fetters that are overcome, go like this, that in the first stage of enlightenment, the stream enter, we have overcome the belief in the existence of a permanent self or soul, doubt in the message of the Buddha, and belief that one can end suffering merely by, before, by following rules and rituals. And then in the second and third stage of the Once-Returner and the Non-Returner, they overcome greed for sensual pleasures, gross greed as in greed for the things we find in in the world, and hatred. And the one fetter in particular I want to discuss is actually one one of the last things to go for one that becomes fully liberated. There are subtle desire to exist in fine material form, subtle desire to exist in immaterial form, Conceit, and that's the one I want to discuss, or the underlying perception of self-identity, restlessness and worry, and ignorance. Ignorance is also the very last thing to go, the last thing fully overcome. We find full wisdom, the fulfillment of wisdom there. But conceit is is the one in particular that I wanted to discuss, because conceit, or this self-identity, could also be understood as pride, It can be understood as the way we compare ourselves to others. We look at how we are better than others, how we are worse than others, how we are equal to others, superiority, inferiority. And then even deeper underneath that, we find the whole concepts of I, me, and mine under there as well. All of these concepts to be overcome. Now, this might sound a little depressing, I'll try to pick it up, you know, because we have these human failings and when we focus on them too much, it can be a little depressing and disheartening because we we feel like like failures, which is precisely my point, this feeling of inferiority, this feeling of, of comparison. So, Let's start first with looking at this within ourselves in starting on the path of Buddhism. Initially, we don't know anything about the path. We don't know anything about the Buddhist teachings. We haven't read the suttas. We haven't heard Dharma talks. We probably haven't meditated. Brand new. And in those moments, it's easily, easy to fall into comparing, to, to measuring how you're doing, because then you start to learn. And then you see others who seem to be doing much better than you. They meditate and they seem so peaceful. They're so knowledgeable. They've read all of these things. They can quote this and translate that. And this feeling sits in like, oh, wow, I I don't know anything. I'm so bad at this. You learn the precepts. How am I ever going to stop doing this or promote doing that? We have these feelings that arise. And that continues over time. Because it is this subtle thing that sticks around. We practice a bit more. Now we're starting to see progress. Now this conceit begins to take on another shape. Now it's taking on more of that aspect we would call pride. Oh, I had a really good meditation this morning. Success, I'm making it. It's working out. You know, a coworker is mean to you and you don't respond the same way you used to, they shout and you just sit there serene. Mmm. Feels good, right? Superiority starts to sit in there as well. And so when we have these things develop in us, it's it's natural to then react strongly and go, "Oh, oh no. I've done something wrong." Really all we've done is something human. Right? These, these feelings that we have. And, just give me a moment here. See, because I said I didn't want to make this a sad talk and I can already feel the weight in the room. <laughs> I do like to make jokes. I worry sometimes I make too many. I'm gonna get in trouble one of these days for all the jokes I make. gotta remember I'm not a comedian. But, but in truth, these feelings don't go away, whether you're, you're new or you've been practicing for a long time, and they only become more nuanced, I think, and more difficult once you start teaching. I know that for myself, I always am judging, myself and others. It's something I've struggled with for a very long time. I know that for me, oftentimes when I sit up here, I, I feel a bit like a hypocrite, you know? Here's this overweight, bearded guy telling you about the middle path. I'm not sure if that's anything I can confidently teach. You know, I, I'm, I'm too deeply invested in delicious food, too deeply settled into the, the suburban life of a, of a married man. You know, what can I tell you about renunciation? And yet, in some ways, I've, I've been successful. I, I don't often talk about it. But the success sometimes scares me, because it is easy to then judge and measure other people by my successes. Measure other people by my understanding. And I think that when we look at, at the, Bu- the Buddhist community, especially in, in America, where it's still forming, those judgments need to be noticed especially, because here's this new thing that's sprouting up in this new land and the judgments, the conceit, the, the feelings of superior, superiority and infer- inferiority seem to be moving groups in different ways, further apart from each other. And I find that same tendency in myself to feel like others should think the way I do, practice the way I do. And the way I practice, the way I think, is, is very different compared to the average western american buddhist who usually is coming from a christian background who is in some way still reacting to that or still working within that paradigm even within buddhism Uh, i often come across buddhists who are still very caught up in in sin when in buddhism there is no sin or caught up in in this this feeling of of guilt when they've done something wrong also very similar to sin and again we're, we don't often talk about guilt that way or reactivity to the idea of anything that might seem religious now for me i i mostly come from a pagan background you know even though i, I began practicing buddhism when i was around 12 i was also practicing a lot of other religions and mostly associated with pagan people and pagan religions. So, as I grew up more and more into Buddhism, I didn't have a lot of those strong reactions to the the spiritual aspects of of religious Buddhism. You know, lighting incense, chanting, the belief in, in devas and nagas and all of these heaven realms and hell realms. For me, it actually felt quite natural. Going to traditional temples felt a lot like, in some ways, even like the Catholic Church, but also like pagan ritual. And it's easy for me to sit back and look at American Buddhists who are more secular and then compare and see myself as superior. But then what good is that? How does that help me? In fact, it takes me off the path because I should be focusing on myself, on my own practice. A lot of the time, we're looking at others and what they're doing, measuring all the time. And I think it's because a lot of the time, we're afraid of failure we're afraid of being wrong we like feeling right and we like feeling superior and we like knowing knowing that we have the truth I came across this this quote on on Facebook and it was from one of these pagan pages I I used to follow a long time ago and I started following it again because I wanted to see what was on there and, and the quote went something uh, along this line, that life is, is full of mysteries. Be wary of those who behave as if, as if they, they know, as if they have all the answers. Instead, look for those who point look and smile and bow. And that really resonated with me because I I do feel as if people sitting, sitting up here sometimes act as if they have the answers. I can't make that promise. I have my answers. I have my truth. And it happens to be the Dharma, the Dhamma. But it seems that we can look at the Dhamma in two different ways. We can look at it in a universal sense, the actual truth of things, the way things are. But then there's the Dhamma that we practice. And that is always unique to us individually as we are. The grad program I'm in is, is in psychotherapy. I'm, I'm training to become a marriage and family therapist. And one of the things that the course is highlighting is the, the multiculturalism that all of us experience. We often think of ourselves in terms of being monocultural. We just have this one identity. But in truth, we're made up of these very many things, which is a very Buddhist concept. Because we find that all of us are aggregated. We're, we're of all of these different components. And that's even true in terms of counseling and psychotherapy. We're multidimensional, made up of many different things that make us unique, you know. In a day when snowflake has all sorts of connotations, indeed we are all snowflakes. Very individual. And it means that when we apply the Eightfold Path to our lives, it's going to look different for every single one of us. And yet we fall into this belief that it's always going to look the same, or that it needs to be the same. And if it's not the same, there's something going wrong. For me, Buddhism is actually very compatible with what I learned within paganism. And I've brought that into my teachings without a lot of people noticing too much, I think. I am a Buddhist, but I'm also a pagan that just found the Eightfold Path. I still find myself finding nature as something sacred. I find myself finding the senses as a useful tool. Some people take the senses and think that because we are moving away from sensual pleasure, sensual greed, and attachment, that we do without. When I read the teachings, I see that the senses are tools that can be used in pursuit of liberation. The very practice of meditation is coming in tune with the body, understanding it, becoming intimate with it. You'll notice that in the teachings I've given over the last year and a half or so, maybe, I've used words like, like sacred. I've used words like, like reverence. But those are my own terms. They might be useful for you. They might not be. And that's okay. Some people act like that's not okay. You need to think just like them. I never have that expectation. In fact, I get scared when I hear people have that expectation. Because we're all trying to find our way through. We're all trying to find our own peace. And we find that even in the Buddha's lifetime, his own disciples took the path and made it their own. Not everyone was imbued with the same skills or same gifts. The understanding they had was universal in that it came down to the same four truths. Universal in that we were understanding suffering and the way it arises, the way it passes, and the path. But for each of them, they, they embodied that in different ways. Two very famous examples are... The, the, the disciples, Sariputta and Maha Moggallana, right? These two men were like, at, the, at the very epitome of, of the Buddhist disciples, and they were Arahants. They were fully enlightened. And yet they were very different in their approach. Sariputta was a scholar. He was so knowledgeable. He, he could recite many passages. He, he was, in fact, the, the one entrusted with the, the Abhidhamma when the Buddha decided to begin teaching it. Maha Moggallana was a very skilled meditator. And he had you know, gone through all these jhanic practices and could travel to different realms, as the story goes. And, and he, he was able to see in a different way the same truth, but more intuitively. And then you have other disciples of the Buddha who were not skilled at anything, really. You know, They were just kind of bumbling around until they came across the Buddha. And then he gave them techniques to realize the same truth, but in their own way. Some received a flower and and meditated on that. Some received a cloth and were told to clean with it and to see what happened. We see all these ways that, that this universal knowledge, this universal wisdom of suffering looked different for every single person. So if we can see that even in the, the lives of the great disciples of the Buddha, why do we think it's different now? Why do we compare ourselves to others? Why do we look at how much they've achieved and how little we have, or how much we have and how little they have? Or they understand it this way and I understand it that way. I, I see little, little benefit to that way of thinking. And I bring it up not, not because I'm good at it, I think I'm actually pretty bad at it. I've spent most of my life being a very judgmental person. And I would say even insecure, trying to make sure that I am doing better than others for my own sense of self-worth. And this, this quality of conceit is so insidious that even as you begin to realize this about yourself, the bigger part of it, it starts to still come out in subtle ways. Like, oh, I'm undoing all of this stuff. Isn't it great? These other people haven't done it, though. Oh, there I am. I'm in it again. So in those moments, the best thing we can do is just bring ourselves back to the very basics of the path. There's a lot of philosophy in Buddhism if we search for it. The Abhidhamma in particular is the, is the every, all the fat cut off it's just the meat of buddhism it's really just it's all condensed in there and it's not easy to understand it's it's not even easy to memorize and i i even had someone ask me recently who's who's studying the uh the Abhidhamma, like to become like an arahant to become enlightened like do you have to to know all this like have it all memorized and I said, you know, probably not. It's a, long, a lot of long lists. But I do think you have to know it intuitively. Understand it intimately. Recognize it when you see it. But have like an encyclopedic list in your head? Maybe not. But it's there. But when we come across the actual difficulties of life, when we come across these fetters, these difficult emotions, these difficult mental formations, these forms of consciousness that we find, the best thing to do is to go back to the basics. No matter how advanced we think we are on the path, because that advancement might be a, just another illusion, another I- form of identity we're holding on to. So better then to just go back, look at the Eightfold Path, look at the precepts, look at sila, samadhi, get back to that stop with the comparing stop with the looking at someone else's grass to see if it's greener stop judging not easy but that's when we start using qualities like concentration, tranquility because we can bring ourselves collect ourselves to this present moment, sit and watch it without judgment we practice this way on purpose because we are trying to quell this reactivity that we have we can collect ourselves and experience what it's like to have a rest have a rest from this crazy mind of ours we've all got it this crazy mind over time we begin to see the way all of these formations are illusory you know they they we think they have substance and they don't we think that the stories are real and they're stories we tell ourselves so many stories i know that when i sit to meditate on some days i'm writing a novel and conceit self-identity i me and mine feelings of superiority and inferiority are just the same more stories that we tell ourselves the best thing to do is to watch it watch the story and if you watch closely enough you can see the pen working ah illusion mada, right we're never too good for the basics for just getting right back down to it the four noble truths because as complex as it all seems. All of it, the whole big picture. And trust me, it's really complex. I mean, I I think I tried to give a talk one time on the, like the 37 qualities of like the enlightened mind or whatever. And it just, it was just this long list of things I was trying to go through and talking about the senses. And I don't know why I thought that'd be a good talk because we have people here sometimes who are brand new. Like, let me go through this long list It's just words spilling over you. And they're important to know. Of course they are. And if you have the ability to start memorizing them, by all means. But when it becomes overwhelming or you feel lost, caught up in greed in anger, hatred, delusion and ignorance, just get back to that core inside. Get back to yourself. that's what I've had to do recently, honestly, you know, I, with, with my own feelings in, in regard to the, the greater community of, of American Buddhists, it, it was kind of disheartening. And, and I wasn't sure if, if I was willing to be a part of it. And I'm not even the only person or even the only Dharma teacher. I've seen a few that like Forget it, I'm not reading messages, I'm not checking anything but my email, I'm going to go up and hole up in a retreat for a few days, like I'm done. Especially now with the elections coming up, it's just crazy. So much going on. And meditators are actually pretty sensitive to all this stuff. You would think that because we meditate, oh, we're, we're untouched, unaffected. But in truth, because we spend so much time with our feelings, we're really sensitive to the smallest shift, the smallest change. So over time, that sensitivity becomes very subtle. And we feel the slightest bit of greed, hatred, delusion. We feel like, oh, there's a little bit of sloth and torpor. There's a little bit of, of, of jealousy. There's a little bit of conceit, a little bit of pride and we see the, the ripples, the small ripples on that pond, that's actually a sign of progress. It's a good thing that we can see it, but it's uncomfortable. Because the way we used to live, we didn't see the small ripples. We generally didn't know anything was wrong unless there were big waves. So the fact that we can see the small ripples is good. It is progress. But progress, because it's Buddhism, Feels a lot like failure, and that's okay too. All right, I'm. I think I will end here. I I hope that that was coherent. I can't make promises for that. Did we all get through to the other side? Okay, my brain's a jumbled place right now. I apologize deeply. But in any case, uh, with much gratitude and, and loving kindness. Thank you.